Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Amos, the fifth chapter. Now, we have three messages from the third chapter through the sixth. But I have pointed out before, and some of you that may not have been here, if you'll notice 3 verse 1 says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now then, in chapter 4 verse 1, flip over page, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. They're addressed as uh, women that were, uh, that were oppressing the poor and crushing the needy and wanting just their own luxurious a living to take place, bring and let us drink, the last part of the verse. So this third chapter and fourth chapter both begin with, hear this word. Now that's the last one we studied is the fourth chapter, but if you come to chapter 5, notice it says, hear ye this word, which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. Now stop there for just a moment. So the first message covers the third chapter. The second message covers the fourth chapter, and this one covers chapter 5 and 6. So this one covers two chapters. Now then, this chapter and through chapter 6 is a lamentation, a mourning, and a plea. God weeps over them, and then He pleads with them to turn back to Him. And you'll find a lamentation and a plea. As we look at this first verse, we'll look at what takes place verse by verse and give you some uh, subject matter as we go along and some divisions as we go along. The first verse, we find it begins with this lamentation. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. Now then, when you come to verse 2 and 3, we find he said it's a woe unto the land as well as the people. Now, it says the virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord, for thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred, and that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. We might title these two verses, Woe to, unto the land. The pure and wonderful state of Israel, the virgin of Israel, is fallen. She shall no more rise. And this is a consequence of her own sins. You know, when anyone falls, it's usually a consequence of their own sins. We have this business of blaming others. And, you know, you see these little court cases where the so-and-so did this and this caused this. Maybe an accident was caused by someone else. But, you know, when it really comes down to, to, the, to the bottom line, usually <laughs> ourselves are somewhat to blame in most all instances. Because even if someone uh, cuts across in front of us in an automobile, we're supposed to be going slow enough, we can stop the thing before we hit him. And you know that's why if you hit someone from behind, you're usually found to be in the fault. And uh, regardless of the situation, sometimes there's uh, other circumstances that are involved. But I'm just saying, we usually bring problems upon ourselves and there are consequences of our own doings. And the Bible says that, uh, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we know that the law of harvest holds true to Christians as well as to unbelievers. That if we sow uh, bad things, we're going to reap the same in our Christian life. <clears throat> So that means that we ought to be very mindful of how uh, we live our lives and how we treat other folks. Because everything makes its turn 
in its cycle and turns around and comes back. In fact, we'll find in nature, before we get too far, uh, in this chapter where everything makes its cycle. But let's go on with this. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. She not only would not rise by herself, and she had none that would, would be able to raise her up. It says, For thus saith the Lord, For thus saith the Lord God, The city that went out by a thousand shall leave by an hundred, leave an hundred, and that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. So where they had a thousand that would, were, was able to go forth to war or to battle, they would be diminished to where there would be even a tenth that men shall leave by an hundred. And that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten. So it shows the uh, diminishing of their power, of the fact that they were uh, degrading themselves and they were coming down uh, degree by degree. Now I want you to notice verse 4. <clears throat> and by the way, verses 4 through 9 give us a warning, a warning of the Lord to Israel. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Now here's a call to seek the Lord, to seek God, to renounce their sins, to repent of their sins, and to find favor and to find fellowship with God. It was not only that they would live, but they would be restored to Harmony and fellowship with God. Look at verse 4 again. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. And then he tells them not to seek Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal. You know why? These places that we've already referred to previously in our studies, Bethel, where uh, Jacob met the Lord, and he called the name of the place Bethel, Bethel, meaning the house of God. And then Gilgal, where Joshua said the... uh, Reproach of Egypt is rolled away. We had that, I believe, in our last lesson. I believe it's uh, Joshua 5, verse 9, where he talks about the reproach of Israel being rolled away. And so we find that these two places they were not to see. These places that originally and previously had a sacred meaning and a sacred history. Bethel, the house of God. Gilgal, where they were separated from Egypt. And here... He says, but seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal. Why? Because they had their idols set up. They were worshiping their uh, golden calves that they had made in the days of Jeroboam and still in effect. They had set up Jeroboam back in 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 12, where he set up one calf in Dan and one in Bethel. And he one in the northern part of the kingdom, one in the southern for them to go into this place and worship rather than Jerusalem that was chosen for them to go to worship. Because old Jeroboam said, I want to make it easy on them. I don't want, this is too hard for you to go and to sacrifice anything, to make an effort to go where God has placed his name there. You know, a lot of people want a uh, cheap and costless uh, religion and worship. They, they don't want to put any forth any forth any effort or sacrifice. And the Bible tells us as Christians, Paul said what? I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I like what Brother Mel sang a little bit ago. Breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. And that we should present ourselves and ask God to make us what we ought and need to be. And we're coming to a new year. We're already started. And so let's start it out right and ask God's help and remember if He calls upon us to do anything or to sacrifice anything or to 
to give ourselves, let's be willing to do it. And we'll find that, I know that when we do that, that God will bless us for it. He always rewards His children wherever they are. You know, He rewarded His children when He brought them out of Egypt. Remember? They were working there without any pay and had the taskmasters over them that were cruel to them, the cruel taskmasters for 400 years in bondage. And when God brought them out, what did He do? He says, you take all their silver and all their gold and all their jewels. There was a payday coming. And He sent them out with everything that they had. And then they get in the wilderness and they waste it because they had to make them the images and idols to worship. When Moses was up there with the Lord trying to uh, uh, corresponding with God about the Ten Commandments and bringing the commandments down, they had already turned against God and began to worship idols. The commandments that He had given them there, they had broken them before Moses got down off of the mountain. That's why, that's why he threw them down and broke the literal uh, tables of stone. Then he had to go back and get another set to put them under the law that they were originally had agreed to be under. But anyway, be that as it may, what we're saying is that, uh, that God paid them off and rewarded them. And God will reward us if we'll turn to Him and do what He wants us to do. Okay? Verse 4, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, that's where they had their calf worship, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity. He had already decreed this. And what? And Bethel shall come to naught. He had already predicted that this was what was going to happen to them. In verse 6, Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Now, here's the warning. We said it's not only a call, but it's a warning. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there shall be none to quench it in Bethel. What's he saying? He's saying that God will bring the judgment upon them if they do not turn to him. Seek the Lord and you shall live. Lest, look at that word lest, I have it circled in my Bible, in red. Lest he break forth or break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. So God will either reward us for good or for evil. Now I want you to look at verse 7. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. So what they would do, they perverted justice to the most bitter wrong. They'd turn judgment into wormwood. You know, the person that tries to plead his case, if he was poor, he'd spend all at the great expense of a lawsuit. The judgment that he would receive even would be not a blessing, but It'd be wormwood, wouldn't it? You know, those same practices are used today as far as our society is concerned in some instances. If you take a very wealthy person, one that has thousands and thousands or maybe even millions, if you get them in a lawsuit, they don't care. It doesn't bother them. You know why? they got enough money to, to pay off the lawyers. And if a poor guy's up against them, they know that he'll dismiss his case if he's got anything coming from them if he has any judgment against them because he doesn't have the money to pursue it. And that's the way it works many times. I've seen it in my own life how it works that way. And the little fella is going to back out because he knows he doesn't have the money to pursue his uh, case, honestly. And it says here, ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. There's no righteousness and no right judgment. So they pervert justice to the most bitter wrong. They had become corrupt morally and ethically. And you know, there's moral corruption and ethic, ethical corruption in our society today in some instances. In fact, we could say many. And sometimes 
when you have a case that is in your favor and you're, you absolutely have everything right as far as your circumstances concerned, you may have to just suffer the loss of it rather than to pursue it because you don't have the money to do so. And you know that's what insurance companies get, get off on today. They know that if you don't have the money to, to buck the system, well then uh, you're going to be the loser anyway. And even one insurance company dealing with another on your behalf will do that. I mean, they'll pay off something because they think it's more beneficial to them than to pursue the, the right instance, uh, the right situation there. And they're right in a, a certain automobile accident or whatever. So they figure, well, it'll cost us more than to pay off whoever's uh, filing this suit. So they just agree to do that. Justice. You who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Then it says in verse 8, Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion. The seven stars are the Pleiades. It's called the heap of or cluster of stars. And turneth the shadow of death. P-L-E-I-A-D-E-S. If you want the word. And by the way, the word Orion means a fool or irreligious man. Orion means that. Corresponding with Nimrod, which means let us rebel. Seek him that, uh, that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into mourning. He has power over uh, all evil to turn it to good. He turned the shadow of death into mourning and maketh the day dark with night that, that call calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is His name. This shows what God can do. What can He do? He calls the waters of the sea up by uh, evaporation, the vapors, and He puts them up in the clouds, and then He sends them back, He pours them back down upon the earth. God has a wonderful system, does And you know, if it were not for this system that God has set in action upon this earth, what would happen? It would all disappear. There would be no replenishing anything. But he's made, when you put something that's, a li- uh, put a grain of wheat that's dead, no life in it whatsoever, into the ground, and it germinates, it actually dies, it rots, and out of that rot and out of that uh, death comes life, and you have a stalk of wheat that comes up some 20, 30, 40 bushels to acre. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, if anybody ought to be a Christian, it's a farmer, shouldn't he? He ought to know. That everything he sees is a resurrection. And all of us ought to be a Christian on the basis of the fact that God has made such a wonderful system. Notice this verse again. It says, He maketh the day dark with night, that he, He's the one that calleth for the waters of the sea. He calls for the waters of the sea. How does He do that? And the evaporation and all the waters go up to the clouds. And then what's, what happens to that? And pour them out upon the face of the earth. And you know He can pour them out for good or for judgment as well. There's one time we know of that He poured them out upon the whole world in a way of judgment in Noah's day. We're not saying that there are not instances of it even today. But He did promise not to cover the earth Again, with a flood to destroy all flesh. But in that, in some instances, I'm not sure, but what all the storms, you know, the Bible teaches that the, the storms God has completely control over. And sometimes He sends storms in, in the way of judgment, as well as the way of sending rain for blessings. But we, we know that God has a purpose in all that He does. And whatever purpose He chooses, that will be the purpose of it. Look at verse 9. He's the one that strengtheneth the spoil against the strong, so that the spoil shall come against the fortress. I mean, the spo- he strengthens the spoil against the strong. Can you imagine that? So that the spoil shall come against the fortress. 
Can you ever imagine how that sometimes the, the weak one gains the victory and the strong one loses the battle? The Bible teaches that. You know, in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11, it says, I've seen under the sun that the... That, let me read. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Let me read it for you. In Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Why not? The swift ought to win the race, shouldn't he? And he says, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding. He says, nor yet favor to men of skill. It says, but time and chance happeneth to them all. You've seen some that think that their riches have come because of their, their, you know, exceptional knowledge and abilities and situations. But there are some men that have tried just as hard in their life to work and have had just as much knowledge that God has not permitted to have certain things. So it says, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Back in Hosea, I mean in Amos, look at it again, chapter 5, verse 9, that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoils shall come against the fortress. It's not the strong that comes against the fortress, but the spoils. Verse 10, They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. The gate is the place where most of the uh, decisions were made uh, for the village or city. The judgment place, place of judgment, place of counsel. And they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Remember it says, old Lot, when he was down in Sodom, Lot sat in the gate. We don't know if he's a mayor or if he's a... Alderman or counselor or whatever, councilman, but he was uh, high up in the city government, whatever it was. Lot sat in the gate. And here it says, They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, if a man rebukes in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Amos the prophet publicly rebuked the uh, nobles of Israel and their princes and their priests for all their things that they had done. And he did that before the masses, before the public. And it says, Because of it they hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Verse 11, For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him uh, burdens of wheat, and you have built you have built houses of hewn stone. In other words, they rob the poor to build them fancy mansions. You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink a wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. They will not let the in the judgment gate or hall, they would not let the poor have their right. Have their right heard in some cases. And we've already read how that they would pervert justice earlier when we said in verse 7. So they were treating the poor and those that could not defend themselves in an unjust matter. They would afflict the just, it says in this 12th verse, and they take a bribe, they get paid off, take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right because of the bribes that they were paid. Verse 13, Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Now he said in verse 11 that they had planted these vineyards and they would not uh, drink of the wine of them. God will not bless their, this kind of of, of uh, action of anyone. And then he tells them, beginning with verse 14 and 15, he is wooing them back to him. He's pleading with them. He says, Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye, as ye have spoken. Hate the evil. Three things here. Notice. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. He says, I want you to do these three things. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. If they would be called to repentance in this way, 
He would be gracious to thee. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, saith thus, Wailing shall be in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandman to mourning. Why was the husbandman going to be mourning? Because of the lack that he would not have of the fruit of his labors. And such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. They would even be hypocritical in their mourning. They had hired, they had hired mourners or professionals. In Jeremiah's day, they had the same thing. They would call those that would be uh, qualified to be mourners and paid. They would pay them to be mourners. And especially the women because they'd have more tender and compassionate feelings than some of the male population. They know they could get them to be mourners. But yet they would be paid off. They'd still be paid off for it. And it says in verse uh, 18, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Remember, we've run across this phrase, the day of the Lord, in the book of Joel earlier. In fact, Hosea had it. But Joel is a uh, majors in the thought and the term, the day of the Lord. And he speaks of the day of the Lord. He says, To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is what? This is the same thing Amos says. It's darkness and not light. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And he tells how that it will happen. As if a man did flee, look at this, from a lion and a bear met him. Well, I don't know which is the worst. But anyway, he couldn't run away from the problem, could he? And he says, or went into the house and leaned upon, leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. The loosely mortared uh, stone walls of houses were given to cracking in those days. And these cracks provided uh, snakes a home. And so sometimes... When you lean the hand upon the wall, the serpent would bite you. You know, in some places they have what they call it is in mongoose that they put in the house to keep the place rid of the, the snakes in some areas in the world. So it went from bad to worse. Just when they thought they escaped one uh, trouble or trial or problem, another one would catch up with them. So in verse 20 it says, Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? And we find that that carries on over and even to the book of Revelation when we talk about the day of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice verse uh, 21. I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell your solemn in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. You know, God had established worship by sacrifice and by offerings. But they had so corrupted... They were so hypocritical, and because of the spiritual condition of the people, God had rejected their formal worship. Let's put this in practice today and think of a practical thought. A formal worship even today in the house of God is still just as much abhorred by the Lord. A formal worship. That's why we should worship. Jesus said that true worshipers should worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. And a formal worship will not do any... You know, the people have rituals, they have ceremonies, they have all kinds of things going on. You can light all kinds of candles and play all kinds of little things, you know. But there's a difference between that kind of worship and worship from the heart. And, and God demands, God will not accept 
He demands we worship from the heart. He will have no part of this. And he rejected this form of worship. What did he say? Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. He said, I don't even like your singing. He says, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials, all their instruments. I was watching something last night on television. Before the new year came in. I don't know. I better not call any names. Might disturb somebody. But you know, I never could understand people with a cross around their neck, you know, hanging down. I mean, either gold or silver, pretending to be. I mean, the cross to me, you and I should mean something. But on the other hand, you see some of these rogues that are thrown into prison. And they got that big cross. You see them robbing cars, stealing cars. They got a big cross there, or a little one, hanging around their neck on a gold chain. Now, to me, that's. I remember one of the police stories, you know, where these policemen catch folks doing things. And this guy caught a guy breaking in the liquor store, and, and he brings him out there and puts him in cuffs, you know. And he says, and there you go. The policeman pointed it out. He says, and there you are with that cross around your neck, you know. Pointed out what kind of fellow this was. Robbing a liquor store. I mean, you know, it doesn't make any difference what you write on the outside if you don't have something right on the inside. And what I started to say, this one singer, he had a sweatshirt on First Baptist Church or so and so. And he was singing all kinds of songs that I don't think the Lord is too pleased with. God said here, Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vows. But he says, here's what God wants. Look at verse 24. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. If you want to do what God wants you to do, let judgment return. And let it flow like waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? He reminds them of their history. But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch, and Shion, your image, the star of your God, which you made uh, to yourselves, the, the tabernacle of, Mo, of your Moloch. They probably had small portable shrines that they used, I'm told, by studying. that That's what they had, little shrines. Or they had representations, images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves, to both of these false gods. And he says in verse 28, Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. He says, you're going to therefore suffer the consequences of this false worship, of your uh, hypocrisy, of not returning to me. And he gave them, he repented, he pleaded with them a lamentation. He, I have a great lamentation. Verse 1, look at that. Lamentation. Take up against you even a lamentation, O house of Israel. And then on down he says, Seek me and you shall live. Seek the Lord and you shall live. Verse 6. He says, Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into morning. And he goes on down in several places. Verse 14. Seek good and not evil. Verse 15. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. So he's pleading with them to turn back to him and not have to suffer the consequences of rebellion and of false worship. I think there's a lot of lesson there for, for us. We want to take up with chapter 6 in our next lesson. Be sure and don't miss that one because it's, I love that one, chapter 6. And I believe you'll like it too. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer.